0: A Spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited.
1: Welcome to Holy Smoke, the Spectator's religion podcast. I'm Damian Thompson. The Catholic Church is now halfway through a two-year consultation process, known, confusingly, as the Synod on Synodality, which will reach its culmination next year when the world's bishops meet in Rome to reflect on soundings that they've been taking from Catholics and people beyond the Catholic community all over the world. These consultations, which have now ended, will pass through various layers of bureaucracy, before forming the basis of the Synod Agenda in Rome and recommendations made to Pope Francis, whose pet project this is. In theory, it's the most ambitious consultation of the laity that the Catholic Church has ever undertaken and the most important exercise in the Church's corporate renewal since the Second Vatican Council. But only in theory. Not only does no one really understand what Synodality means, But the Vatican is, understandably, very keen to distract attention from the fact that only a tiny proportion of the world's Catholics have had anything to do with this consultation process. And you may not be surprised to learn that tiny percentage wildly over-represents Catholics with a left-liberal agenda whose ultra-progressive views have already seen the synodal process spin completely out of control in countries like Germany, to the point where even the Pope's most sycophantic supporters are beginning to panic. And so too, it goes without saying, are many orthodox Catholics of the type whom Pope Francis constantly accuses of rigidity and clericalism. But are they overreacting? Is the synod and synodality the beginning of the end for orthodox conservative Catholicism, or merely, like previous synods, a dispiriting and very expensive exercise in jargon spouting? Who better to answer these questions than Dr. Ed Condon, canon lawyer and editor of perhaps the world's most influential Catholic website, The Pillar. I spoke to him earlier. So, Ed, I've been reading various incomprehensible, of course, jargon-filled documents from Rome about the synod and synodality, how the listening sessions of the people of God have drawn to a close and the members of the four commissions, of the general secretariat of the synodal bishops have been meeting in Rome to deepen some aspects of the reference document of the synodal journey and the references to sharing reflections carried out with the church as a whole and at the same time mind picking up either alarming or possibly hilarious reports of just how many Catholics bothered to engage with this process. But could we just start? Because one thing the pillar is brilliant at doing is explaining. Just start with you explaining, insofar as it can be explained. How is this supposed to work, as simply as possible?
0: Well, as it was announced, the idea was as Pope Francis put it, to have a sort of global, synodal, consultative process about the life in the church. Now, people have a sort of funny idea of what a synod is, but it's actually quite a precisely defined process in the law of the church and in the mind of the church. A synod is a consultative body under a particular authority. In the case of the Synod of Bishops, which is a thing that meets in Rome on a you know sort of multi-annual basis, under the authority of the Bishop of Rome. This is something that was set up after the Second Vatican Council by Paul VI with the idea of sort of continuing the global consultative process of the world's bishops and helping the Pope understand and react to and better govern a church that had become noticeably more global. I mean, this is one of the big themes of... The Second Vatican Council was understanding that the church looked very differently than it did perhaps at the time of, say, Vatican Council One. So the idea that there's a mechanism in the church for for the authority to consult is a perfectly straightforward one. What we've got in the synod on synodality is a rather weirder one, because, of course, we've had synods and meetings of the synods of bishops in Rome for uh, decades now, and they were always very uncontroversial, almost to the point of being slightly boring and predictable events prior to Pope Francis. It was often quite hard to get people to pay attention to them. Now, under Pope Francis, each one seems to have incredibly hyped Expectations. Uh, in some cases, people make sort of uh, grand or even apocalyptic predictions about what's going to come out of them. So we have seen a very different understanding of what a synod can do under Pope Francis, even if the Pope doesn't seem to agree with it. So, for example, I, you know, I said that a synod is always properly understood a consultative process. It's not like the synod can legislate on
1: it. So it's quite it. unlike the general synod of the Church of England, which could, for example,
0: vote to ordain women and priests. Exactly. It is not a parliament. It is not a, a legislative body. In fact, it has no authority whatsoever. Its only function and its only authority in law is to advise the one who calls it. it it bears no resemblance to the parliamentary process of the general synod in in the anglican communion in the church of england although there have been people in rome even attached or in the orbit of the synod uh, the synod's secretariat in rome who seem to have pointed to the anglican model in a, in a sort of approving way which i think was part and parcel of the confusion which has surrounded this synod on synodality because pope francis has written about and talked about this word synodality quite a lot And everyone keeps sort of asking, well, what does it mean? And you can ask different people, and you can get different answers, and the answers are almost invariably very wordy, very long-winded, very theoretical, and difficult to pin down. There was a press conference in the Vatican in September last year where they were presenting sort of revised guidelines for living synodality in this global synodal process. And one of the experts that the secretariat put forward said um, providing what she said would be a precise and concise definition of synodality would be an injustice to the entire concept, that in a sense, you can, you can look at that one of two ways. You can say, well, it's a meeting about something that nobody really understands, or the fact that the concept of synodality has become so debated and so open to interpretation of the church that we are now having a sort of global conference, if you like, or conference of conferences or Russian doll synod on what the word actually means.
1: Russian Doll Synod, well, I love that. And I think we're also talking about a rather Russian concept of democracy as well, because I've been taking a look at some of the participation figures. This is being billed as a consultation of the people of God, and one which is supposed to extend even beyond the boundaries of the Catholic Church. So let's have a look at just how many people have been consulted. In England and Wales, 3.8 million people identify as Catholic. And while this survey was going on, 370,000 people were going to Mass on Sundays. And this outreach to the people of God, which, let's remember, was supposed to involve lapsed Catholics and non-Catholics as well, managed to reach just 30,000 people. That's not even 10% of those people who are already in church and a captive audience. Let's look at Belgium where there's about 6 million people who identify as Catholics, and 240,000, I think, people who were in church at the time. And the number involved in this consultation, between 2,000 and 4,000. And France has 40 million people who are nominally Catholic, and this earth-shattering consultation managed to reach... More than 150,000 of them. And you had members of Team Francis squeaking that this was a good result. You have to wonder, what would a bad result
0: look like? I think it's hard to say that it's an unqualified success looking at figures like that. And and you're right, the emphasis coming out of Rome a lot of the time seems to have focused more on the need to consult people who don't go to church than people who do. That, um, you know, Pope Francis has been very clear, and so the secretariat has... has amplified to a very great degree, I would say, uh, the need to go to the peripheries in this. And it has given the impression at times that the synodal process is more interested in engaging with voices that don't actually either consider themselves uh, an active part of the church or have all that much truck with what the church actually teaches, uh, either on faith or morals, And it's more interested in engaging with them than it is on people who actually have a lived experience of the faith and i think what those figures point to is the really real problem of the synod in many places turning into a coalition of the invited and of the willing and the numbers for both of those brackets seem to be pretty low and this has always been i think the real risk of a quote-unquote global synodal process is it's going to be lived very differently in different places. I mean, in the United States, for example, what the synodal process looks like in different dioceses changes very much depending on where you are in the country. In some places, every parish is holding, you know, a series of sort of synodal sessions in themselves and producing really very well-written and very professionally presented reports on what they've had in their sessions and sending those into the diocese for synthesis, which then go into sort of the Episcopal regions for synthesis and all that sort of thing. And in other places... The synodal process hasn't seemed to be much more than a link on the diocesan website and a fill in an email form here if you want to take part. And I think that disparity of participation makes it very, very difficult to put much strength behind whatever the inevitable conclusions of this process will be. I think you'll get some regions reporting very large participation. Um, others reporting very minimal or perhaps not reporting the minimal participation, trying to obscure that maybe, but all proposing their own conclusions. And who's actually writing and synthesizing this sort of w- allegedly widespread feedback, I think, is going to exercise a very outsized influence.
1: Well, okay. yes, Ned, yeah, if all I can points, just say, you know, how dare Cardinal Grek, a very ambitious Secretary General of the Senate of the Bishops, talk about reflections carried out with the church as a whole when you have these minuscule numbers of people whether they belong to pressure groups whether they belong to the general population whether they're faithful parishioners or whatever the numbers are so minuscule how dare he talk about the church as a whole i wanted to raise something else as well which is that uh, i've been talking to some english catholics who, who have views which are traditional views which are not necessarily approved by the vatican They've been trying to make points about the non-availability or the the ruthless attempts to suppress or curtail the Latin mass or, for example, the hideous embarrassment that is modern Catholic church music. They've been trying to put that on the agenda to register their anxieties and disapprovals, but the diocesan representative thinks thinks it's too divisive and therefore it's not going to get passed up the chain where it would be ignored anyway. So... Not only is there only a tiny proportion of the quotes people have got being consulted, if they ask the wrong questions, they'll be ignored.
0: Well, I think there is a very real question about gatekeeping of ideas and feedback in some places. And, I mean, if you read the, the official texts of the synodal process coming out of Rome, that sort of thing is supposed to be right out. But then again, we understand there is a difference between things in theory and things in practice in the church. And we've seen on the sort of other end of the spectrum, if you like, the very other end, almost the photo negative of the spectrum, groups that have as their only existing concern to be to subvert the church's moral teaching on issues like abortion or its doctrinal teaching on things like ordination of women have have published and had sort of recognized as resource material by the Synod Secretariat playbooks for how to circumvent This kind of gatekeeping of saying if you're worried that our deliberate promotion of heterodox or immoral calls for changes to church teaching are going to be screened out. Here's how you make sure you get around your local bishop or your local regional reporting thing and feed directly into the process. And I think it is a recipe for a bit of a mess, to be honest with you. But then again, we don't really know what the final session will look like when it meets in Rome. And still less what the synthesizing mentality will be when all of these bishops and presumably consultants and experts from around the world get together in Rome. And I think that's a, that's going to be the next sort of real telling indication of how much of a script or not there is behind this synod Sure. synodality. I mean, sure. Again, if the synod is describing itself as as one of the experts did in, in September last year, as this we don't want to try and describe a flower before we've seen it bloom, well, that's Well and good. Pass the sick bag. It's not an image that I would necessarily use myself, but I I think the question is real, which is, are people going into this with a genuine sense of an open mind and spontaneity? Or is there going to emerge, as there have at previous synodal meetings, a sense that there is a script already written, and the only question is, will the attendants agree to follow it?
1: I want to ask you something about these um ultra radical left wing groups that want to basically adopt a liberal Protestant agenda almost wholesale for the Catholic Church. In Germany, this has spun so out of control that the Vatican and even Cardinal Kaspar, the famously radical Cardinal Cardinal Casper, are trying to put a stop to what's going on
0: there, isn't that right? Oh, it's absolutely right. I mean the the interesting thing about the so-called German synodal way is according to the Vatican, which doesn't like to involve itself too much in the doings of the church in, in various countries, has had to lean over several times and say to the Germans, what you are doing is neither synodal nor a synod. You seem to think you you have this sort of legislative power and the ability to reinvent the church, and you do not. As you said, Cardinal Casper, who until about 30 seconds ago was anyone's postcard picture of a progressive cardinal, has said that the entire process is heading for schism and that the synodal way in Germany is trying to deconstruct and destroy the structures that Christ intended for the governance of the church. And what we're seeing in Germany is basically, I I would say, (laughs) looking at the documents coming out of the synodal way, it's hard to view it as anything other than uh, Protestantism 2.0. That, you know, their most recent proposals are to create a sort of supranational governing body for the church, a permanent synodal council composed mostly, as, as far as I can see, as politically activist lay people with a few bishops thrown in, uh, who will exercise some kind of national governance over yeah. the church. And with
1: generally. very little of the intellectual calibre or integrity, whether you like it or not, a Protestant 1.0,
0: but let me ask you, what's been going on in Australia recently?
1: Explain that to me.
0: Well, so this is an interesting counterpoint to the German synodal way, because one of the things Rome said to the Germans was, you're not having a synod, but given the things you're trying to do, legislate, pass binding resolutions and norms, you seem to be thinking you're having a particular council, uh, which you're not, because we haven't given you permission to have one. Now, in Australia, uh, just this last weekend, they concluded a plenary council of all of the dioceses of Australia, the first in 60 years. And they've proceeded in a markedly different way. They had, you know, multiple sessions over several years, much as the Germans have done, but they had a sort of theme that they started off with, which was pointed in the direction that Pope Francis has said he wants the church to look, which is how does the church better adapt itself in its particular times and places towards the evangelization? So whereas the Germans started their process with these sort of, you know, key themes of reforming the church's governance structure, reforming the church's teaching on sexual morality, reforming the the church's teaching on sacramental ordination for women and all these things. In Australia, they started with a much more open-ended but evangelically-minded principle, and where they went with it is, in some cases, what you might expect from a sort of National Plenary Council. They had people calling for women's ordination. They had a, a lot of talk about environmental concerns and and things that tend to be associated with the idea of you know the left or progressivism or liberalism, whatever you want to call it. And then they had people on the other side saying, no, what we need is better catechesis. We need better formation of priests. We need better formation of laypeople. We need better liturgy. And it all came to a a kind of head last week where they were voting on the final resolutions, and there was there, again, a sense sort of behind the scenes, at least from what I got talking to people who were there, that there was a script that needed to be followed, and it was a quite a radical progressive one. And for example, there was a motion for the Church in Australia, for the plenary council, to petition the Pope to allow the ordination of female deacons, and committing the Church in Australia to supporting such a thing. And that failed to pass and it caused a huge row on the floor of the council there were some i gather 60 or 70 participants um, all of them who at the risk of generalizing looked exactly as you might expect them to look who refused to resume their seats after the morning tea break and said well we won't you know we won't play anymore if you if you didn't pass this resolution how very dare you a lot of finger pointing and that sort of thing but they managed to pull themselves back together and carry on with the council and the final resolutions they voted on i think made for a very interesting result, which is they had a redrafted addressing of this issue of possible female deacons that managed to mention the topic without saying anything. I think the the final text said something like, if the Pope were to allow it one day, the bishops in Australia should have a meeting to discuss what to do about it. Now, I don't think anyone needs to call on the bishops to do that. I think if, if Pope Francis changed the rules on the ordination of women to the diaconate, I think the bishops would have a meeting no matter what. But they included other things that are considered somewhat, Progressivist, uh, a call on Rome asking them to allow a broadened access to general absolution in churches instead of individual confession. Or um, there was a motion to allow lay homilies to be preached during Ma- Sunday Mass instead of um, by the priest or deacon.
1: Well, look, the, Austra- the Australian church is aching the PC, which is why, to its eternal shame, it stayed so quiet when the innocent but conservative Cardinal Pell was thrown in jail on trumped-up charges. They, you know, they couldn't be bothered to defend him because he didn't hold the right views. But, look, let's just look at this globally. I'm going to say this is a massive global waste of time and an enormous waste of money for a church that is proving globally pretty useless at evangelising and has no money left anyway. We would have been better off without this entire exercise, because the Catholic Church has got enough problems on its hands.
0: I'm always a little suspicious when a call for evangelization in the Church has met with the answer of, well, we should have some more committee meetings. Uh, I don't know that uh, much in the way of evangelical zeal has ever been produced out of a meeting. Still, less a meeting about what it means to have meetings. But... As for a waste of resources, I mean, I don't know what the global synodal process will eventually end up costing in terms of money, although it will be interesting to see if we can put a price on that. But I think the interesting and instructive thing about the plenary council in Australia is this that you had seemingly irreconcilable competing agendas, and yet what was ended up passing was something that I think everyone could, broadly speaking, get behind. You know, the call for lay homilies in mass was rejected. The call for an experimental trying of more general absolution, if Rome gives permission, was allowed. And I think a lot of people were expecting from a time when people were sort of refusing to resume their seats that the whole thing was going to break down. And what they ended up with was something that was very livable for all sides, I think. And so when I see the kind of apocalyptic predictions that when the final session of the Synod on Synodality meets in Rome, you know, it's going to result in the sort of complete junking of the church's entire self-understanding or a total revision of the church's teaching on this or that, I wonder if this isn't going to be the ultimate expression of the synodal experience uh, during the sort of last 10 years, which is that everyone predicts dramatic change. And in the end, what comes out of it is a lot of high drama, but no real change in terms of results
1: yeah great initiative pope francis who may not even be around for the you know final deliberations of the synod but it sounds to me like there's going to be an awful lot of talking and an awful lot of arguing but given the way the catholic church is organized as an all-powerful monarchy no changes that the pope doesn't want to make and given that this pope hasn't made any particularly dramatic changes despite changing mood music enormously The next Pope might very well be equally disinclined to make any dramatic changes, but the talking, the jargon, time-wasting, the conscious or unconscious modelling, either on liberal Anglicanism or liberal Lutheranism, will continue, and it will benefit nobody except those people who are claiming expenses and drawing salaries and sucking the life out of
0: ordinary parishes. Well, I think it's certainly true to say that probably the people who will be most disappointed in the results of the Synod and Synodality will be those progressivist members of the Church who continue to expect Pope Francis to behave in a way that, to put it bluntly, wouldn't be very Catholic. And uh, he's disappointed them before during the Synod on the Amazon and also the Synod on young people. And I I think those predicting radical change will be similarly similarly disappointed this time around.
1: Well, Pope Francis plays his particularly unpleasant game, I think, of raising all sorts of expectations, saying all sorts of very, very strange things in interviews, then doing nothing about it. And if that's his way of defending orthodoxy, then I think we need a a Pope with a better way of doing it. Ed, I'm very grateful. Thank you very much indeed. Always a pleasure. That was Ed Condon, editor of The Pillar. And here's a little postscript. I've been thinking about those spectacularly low percentages of Catholics including church-going Catholics who've taken part in this consultation process and wondering why almost nobody is interested. Well, there are lots of factors to do with secularisation, including the secularisation of congregations, but here's something I think is important. For the last nine years, Pope Francis has rarely missed an opportunity to attack his clergy. That's what this talk about clericalization is really about. He's frequently imputed dishonest, unworthy or uncharitable motivations to his own priests. He rarely has a good word to say about them. And it's priests, parish priests in particular, who bear the burden of gathering support for the synod consultation exercise. And when you look at the fact that in many countries, in many dioceses, less than 10% of mass have become involved in the synod and synodality, I think you can conclude, perhaps, that these priests have sat on their hands. And can you blame them?